Father, we come to You because of Jesus. Because of the blood of Christ, Lord. We come to You because the Spirit drew us to the goodness of the Gospel. Father, we come to You and we recognize, Lord, Your Spirit is present here in this room. But Lord, we put up a veil many times in front of our own hearts. Father, I ask that we tear down that veil. You ripped the curtain in half when you died. And Father, I ask that we tear down that veil that we may receive Your Word, that as we look at Your Word, Lord, we may get a greater glimpse of Your glory, a greater glimpse of Your goodness, and a greater glimpse of just who You are. And through that, through Your goodness, Lord, You help us change. That we will reach out. That we will love others through that. And Father, I just pray that this entire service And this entire body will begin to seek You more and more. And Lord, we love You. And we want to hear from You. We want to hear specifically through Your Word, Lord. And we want to hear how to apply Your Word to our hearts and lives. And I pray this in Your Son's awesome, awesome name. Amen and Amen. All right, we are going to look at a text today out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it's going to be on Jesus, our Advocate. Now, I'm going to tell you, paint a little picture here, tell you a little story about me being my own advocate. Okay, so you ready? Picture this. I'm I'm at work one day. I'm at work, and they gave me a blazer. I called it my sweet blazer, but it was from the 90s. It was a throwback blazer, and it had a V6, and that thing would ball, right? And I had this little problem with this blazer that rolled. I'd like to give it a little more gas than what I should have, right? But I'm driving one day like this. You know, when you get that pimply going on and the music's on, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. And I'm flying down the road 70. I'm cruising. And all of a sudden, I, I realize I'm out of gas. I need to pull over. So I slow my roll a little bit, get on the merge ramp. I get off and I see the gas station ahead. I'm like, all right, there's the gas station. I need to get some gas. But I'm still kind of doing my lean and I'm rolling. Boom, chicka, boom, chicka. But all of a sudden, this police officer, I see these blue lights. And I'm like, maybe they want to tell me they like my music. Is that why they're pulling me over? What's going on here? I'm like, well, I don't know what it is. So I pull over. And this cop walks up. She walks up. And she says, "Uh, excuse me, sir. Why are you speeding in this school zone? And I'm like, oh, snap. Because the school zone, the speed limit dropped to 20. But I may have been doing a little more than 20. Because it was 35 before. I may have been, I was rolling. I gave every excuse under the sun. First thing that came out of me, I'm sorry, I didn't notice. I it just didn't, I didn't even see the sign. I didn't know any of this was going on. I'm giving her all the excuses in the world. She says, license and registration. She goes back to the car. And then all of a sudden I start doing those, you know, those prayers of just mercy prayers where you get caught and you're like, oh Lord Jesus, help me. I was throwing those up. I'm like, Lord, change her heart. You know, I'm done throwing up those. Change the cop's heart so she doesn't give me a ticket. This is what I'm throwing up. Well, I'm sitting there and as I'm praying, she comes back up and by God's grace, she said, I want to give you a warning. This never happens. She gave me a warning and I pulled off. But that silly illustration, I want to illustrate one thing from that. As Christians, oftentimes... We tend to be our own advocates. 
And I have to ask, why do we so quickly run to the place of self-justification when Jesus has justified us? Do you catch that? That's what the text is going to drive home today. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's up here on the screen. 1 John reads this way. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. All right. So we're going to look at four major themes throughout this text. The first is, don't give in to sin. The second is, don't lose hope when you do sin. The third area we're going to look over today is, don't worry, God's wrath is satisfied. And finally, don't hide Jesus. Don't hide the Lord. Right? That's what we're going to look at today. But let's pick up, and we're going to pull this apart. We're going to look at the very first verse. He jumps out and he says, My little children. This is the front end text before he goes into do not, you know, keeping yourself from sin. God comes to us in this manner as our dad, as our daddy. He comes and he says, My little children. Do you see what's happening? This is an indicative. This is what God has done. He says, I brought you into the family. I've, you are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. You now have brothers and sisters to live in community. And you are now His child if you are in Christ. And He says that on the front end. All of a sudden, when we look at Scripture this way, we begin to see that God, gospel change is drive and just driven around the goodness of God. He comes to us, and He doesn't just simply say, don't do this. He comes to you and He says, I love you. I died for you. You were adopted. You were in the family. Now, live for my glory. Do you see... When you read Scripture this way, it changes you. It changes your affections and the, who you want to live for. But he goes on. This gospel identity is laid out. But he tells us, I'm writing these things that you, to you so that you may not sin. Right? We live in a culture today where this term is kind of whitewashed. We don't hear about it. When you turn on the daily news, do you hear this word sin? You can shout out. Do you hear it? I don't hear it, right? It's not there. We usually utilize terms like, it was a mistake. It was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. We use all these terms, but the Bible itself, in the same book of 1 John, defines it. It says, 1 John 3, 4, that sin is lawlessness. Something that's lawless is living apart from God. It's this idea of simply meism. Everything's about me, and I've cropped Jesus out of the picture. I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. This lawless life. But sin is also described as foolishness, right? All right. How many of you guys watch A Team? 
A-team, all right, I see the 40-year-olds have raised their hand. All right, outside of that, the A-team, what did Mr. T say? I pity the the fool, I pity the fool. Even Mr. T recognized the foolishness. I mean, his was just foolishness, you know, just silliness. But Proverbs, the book of Proverbs talks about sin being foolishness as well, right? He used to pity the fool. And he said, I ain't got no time to fly with that crazy fool Murdoch. Or even said, I'm teaching fools some basic rules. This foolishness, God is saying, I'm keeping you from foolishness. That is what he is getting at here foolishness of running away from him, our hearts drifting, our hearts going in other directions that aren't his, of what he says are correct. Now, how many of you have ever Googled this idea of stupid criminals? All right. Anyone? Mm. All right. No, no show of hands, but I hear chuckles. So a couple honest people, a couple liars. But anyways, here it is. Check it out. So I Google stupid criminals. And there was this guy, he walks in, it looked like a bank or something, right? He walks into the bank with a credit card. It appeared to be a credit card, and he gives it to the cashier. And the cashier, you can see, there's no, mute, there's no uh, voices on it. And she begins shaking her head, and he begins yelling back and forth. And this fool jumps over the counter and tries to grab a hold of the cashier. And guess what? What he didn't know is they had an emergency wall that went up. She hit the button, the wall went up, and he was pinned underneath it, smashed his head, knocked him out, then the police came and got him. Foolishness, right? Foolishness. And when we see things like that, we're like, man, we're not foolish like that. But guess what? When we see things like that and think we're not foolish, we're fooling ourselves. Oh, snap. We're fooling ourselves. Because when it comes back to the heart... God says, we as believers in Jesus Christ even have this foolishness in us. It may not come out so extreme as this guy trying to rob something, but it is there. Let me give you a little history, a little tiptoe through history. So historically, this foolishness grows through what is called ruling desires. Something that captivates me. It's a ruling desire, or it's also called an inordinate desire historically. Let me give you a picture here. This is understanding ruling desires. One of my mentors, Dr. Robert Jones, who is now a biblical counseling professor at Southern Seminary, gave this illustration. And I think this, this, this simple picture captures what goes on inside of us. Now the picture of the throne or the chair up here. This is a throne diagram. The chair is supposed to represent our heart. Heart is kind of an umbrella term in the Bible. It talks about our feelings, even our thoughts, our emotions, our longings, our affections. That is under this term heart. Think of the throne as the heart. On top of the throne is what? The cross, rightly seated. That is where Jesus should reign and rule within our lives. Underneath the throne, those letters represent desires, affections, whether met, keep this in mind, or unmet. Now, many times, I'll give you a simple illustration. Let's say we, ladies, men, you have a desire to have children, right? It's a good desire. But sometimes, maybe you go to the doctor and it doesn't occur, and it doesn't occur, and it doesn't occur. That desire 
begins to grow legs and walk up the throne. Because what happens is you begin to take something that's good and make it ultimate. Or I've heard a phrase, you take a good thing and a good thing becomes a God thing. And ultimately, it begins to be turned into an idolatrous thing. Because it begins to try to ascend the throne of Christ. Now what are some other good areas? We can see this in rest, a good thing. Kids behaving good. I mean, how many of you want your kids? You know when your kids get all crazy and they peek, go, they run underneath the clothes aisle and then they poke their head out and they're like, hey, you moms, I know you want your kids to behave. I didn't hear an amen. I didn't hear an amen because I know when I'm, my kids are little, I want all my kids to behave. It's a good thing. Fathers, you know you want your kids to behave, right? There's good things. I want, you want a decent job. College students, you want good grades, right? Healthy recognition, healthy appreciation. But James gives us insight to this. This is not on the slide. But James in chapter 1, verses 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured, this fishing kind of you know, understanding, lured and enticed by his own desires. Do you catch that? Your own desires. It doesn't say the devil made me do it. It doesn't say the world made me do it. It says your own desires that are within you. You're enticed by that. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Whoa. In us. Not outside of us. And when you understand that, you realize that change occurs here, inside. Right? All right. So, let me give you an illustration on how this works. I love to bring things back to everyday life, right? Everyday living, so you can understand there's deep truths of the gospel, but it all connects at a heart level, a deep level. So, check this out. I'll give you an illustration. So, I had a bad week. Monday came. I go into work. I wake up late. I roll into work. And guess what? As I get into work, I got a problem. My boss is on my case all day, and the first thing I start thinking of is the weekend. I start thinking about the weekend. Guess what? It's Monday. This is sad because it's Monday morning, and I'm already thinking about Saturday. I'm like, Saturday, it's coming. Guess what? Tuesday rolls around. I get in an argument. You know, I bicker with my wife a little bit. My other coworker, you know, he snitches on me for something I didn't do. And then I got to defend myself, and all this goes down. And guess where my mind goes? Back to... Saturday. Wednesday happens and it's community group night. And I'm like, man, I want to go to community group, right? I want Saturday. Thursday comes. Friday comes. Guess what? Same thing happens once more. Where does my mind go? I want Saturday. I want the weekend. Because you know on Saturday, you know what I want to do? I'm going to watch The Walking Dead. I'm going to watch The Walking Dead. And I want to get a big old bowl of popcorn. And I want to chill out in my jammies. And just be not bothered because I want rest. I want relaxation. I want something. This is my refuge all of a sudden. And I keep thinking about this. I'm like, man, I want to see Rick, Carl, Michonne. And I want to see some zombies. And I want to do my thing. And no one's going to bother me. All right, this is the practical, right? I'm longing for Saturday. So here Saturday comes. Boom, in the morning, I'm sitting there. I wake up. I sleep in just a little bit. Not a lot. But I get up, I eat breakfast, and then I'm like, all right, here we go. 
I want to uh, make my popcorn. I make my popcorn. I sit down, and I'm like, I'm trying to catch up on my Walking Dead, so I'm going to binge watch some Netflix. I'm going to shovel it in. But guess what? I'm sitting there, and I get ready. Da, 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 with the remote. And I'm getting ready to push play, and my wife walks through the door. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, well, maybe she's going to sit down and watch Walking Dead with me. No, she says, don't you know my mom's coming over? I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I guess what happens? I start to argue with my wife. I start yelling. And I maybe, I, this is the only illustration, by the way. This didn't happen. So I start yelling, and I start dropping some, I drop some unsanctified words come out of my mouth, maybe. I don't know, maybe, you know, some words that aren't Christian-like. They should, don't reflect the gospel. I say bad things. I pull out the trump card of what happened 10 years ago. All this stuff. Guess what? In marriage, you go to these seminars and they're like, you need communication. Yes, communication may have been an element, but guess what the heart of the matter was? The heart of the matter was she came in and disrupted my idol. I had been caressing, thinking, meditating, thinking about the walking dead, thinking about Saturday. I had been seeking refuge and rest rest, but my refuge and rest was not in my Savior. It was in rest and relaxation. And all of a sudden, when we look at the heart level, we begin to realize, I'm just as foolish as that man that tried to rob the store. And Jesus comes in, and he says, I want to give you informed repentance. And that's what we're going to look at next. Check this out. Should be up on the slide. Here's a way to understand this. How do we recognize a ruling desire in our own heart? Ask yourself a couple of these questions. This is an x-ray question, right? Does it consume my thoughts? Does it consume me? Now, or you can simply say, where does my mind drift when I'm on idle? Where does my mind go? I call it the shower test. If I'm not doing a lot and just kind of on autopilot, where does my mind go? Or what about when I'm driving? Where does my mind go? And when you begin seeing that, you begin to understand what begins to captivate your heart. Next one is, do I sin to get it? Do I lie in order to get something? Maybe I want good grades and I decide to cheat. Am I sinning to get something is another way to understand what's going on inside. Or do I sin when I don't get it? You ask somebody for something and you're like, I'm going to give you the cold shoulder, you know, the old school, talk to the hand, I'm not listening. You know, maybe you hit them with that. Do I sin when I don't get it? Or you can simply fill in these blanks. You ready? You must give me blank or I'll be angry and cold towards you. If I don't get blank, I become depressed, angry, or anxious. If only blank would change, I would be happy, satisfied, or content. And finally, what I think I need or desperately want is fill in the blank. When you start asking questions like this, it takes you out of hazy repent. It takes you out of hazy repentance land is where it moves you. So, let's think about this. I'm going to give you another step. Another, not a step, excuse me. Another point here to look at. 
So James is telling us, my children, he says, do not sin in 1 John. James talks about our own desires. Now I'm going to give you how to have informed repentance. Now, check us out. How many of you have that family member? Who's got that family member? Everyone got that family member? You know that family member. Everyone knows that family. You know that family member that gets under your skin? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Uncle Bob. Maybe Uncle Bob, he likes to uh, drink a lot of rum chata and says inappropriate things when everyone comes around. Is it Uncle Bob? Or, or maybe it's uh, your aunt. Maybe she just doesn't have a filter from here to here and she just lets anything fly out of her mouth, right? That family member, the one that gets under your skin. All right, so maybe it's not Uncle Bob or, or, or your aunt. Maybe it's uh, Rico. Uncle Rico. Let's go with Uncle Rico. You know Uncle Rico? Uh, come on now. You all seen Napoleon Dynamite, right? That's old. old uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Uncle Rico. You're like, every time I come around Uncle Rico, Uncle Rico wants to talk about the 80s and how he can throw a pigskin a quarter mile, and he's always in the back world. And you know what? I bet you Uncle Rico got all his pride and stuff, and he, he just gets under my skin. And you know what? You're, I bet you if Uncle Rico's around today, he'd probably smell like Axe Cologne, you know? So when you come around, like, you know the guys that spray too much Axe Cologne and stuff, you're like, oh, dang. You need to pipe down on that Axe Cologne. But Uncle Rico comes around like that, right? Now, what does informed repentance look like with Uncle Rico? That family member, take any family member that gets under your skin. What does it look like to have informed repentance? It means coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me for my bitterness. Lord, forgive me for my pridefulness. Lord, forgive me that I think I am better than Uncle Rico. Mm. We want to get to the area of informed repentance. You ask the questions. You take one look inside. You ask the questions, and then you take ten looks to Christ. Right? And all of a sudden, we have to ask the Lord, move me, Lord, Move me. Help me see that because of your love for me that I have received, now I can extend grace to Uncle Rico. And that becomes a foundation. Alright. There's more. You want to hear more? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Keep going through the text. Are you ready? Here we go. Our next, our next section. Part two of the text. Alright, we're told. Alright, keep our little children, loved ones of the king. Right? I'm writing this so you don't sin, sin. And he says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So don't lose hope when you sin, right? You will. We're called to fight it. But we don't lose hope because we have an advocate. And you guys, if anyone's been to court, you know what an advocate is, right? It's a defense attorney who's taking up your case. You know, like the case, I was not at a... I was not at Royal Farms. He was not, our, my, you know, this person was not at Royal Farms at 8 o'clock on the corner selling. That's, he's advocating for you, right? He's saying, that's an advocate. <clears throat> but don't think of this advocacy as something of Jesus dying again. Right? He doesn't die again or resaving you. He is pleading before the Father. We see, we know in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see the connection between the goodness of the Gospel, the forgiveness of sin, and the one another ministry that's lived out in the local church? 
It connects directly back to community. So let's look at what, let's take a look at Luke 22. This will tell us a little glimpse into what Jesus' advocacy looks like for us on our behalf. So Luke 22 reads like this. This was basically right on the heels of the Lord's Supper when the disciples began to argue about who's the greatest, right? And he jumps out and he's like, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that I might sift you like wheat. But, here's a turn. I have prayed for you. This is Jesus I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This, my friends, is the enabling grace of God in your life. That is what this is in this text. God holds you if you are in Christ and nothing can snatch you from His hands. He holds you. This is the perseverance. He is standing before the Father here and He praise he says and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers all of a sudden he's saying look to the body not just individual even in his rebellion he said Peter continues on Peter said to him Lord I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death Jesus says I, will tell, I tell you Peter the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me Man, even in the denial here of Peter, we see this enabling grace of Christ to carry us, not to crush us, to strengthen us, not to destroy us. And you see the goodness of God, do you not? This is what Romans 2.4 tells us. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So how do we apply this? As Christ intercedes for us, we are called to intercede for one another. It's exactly what James tells us. We see that in James 5.16. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you see this idea of confessing your sins to one another should not be an awkward thing. And this is why it shouldn't be awkward. Because the gospel levels the playing field. None of us in this room is better than the other. The gospel comes in and says, the law comes in and condemns us and says, we are sinful. The gospel comes in and clothe us and says, Christ has finished the work. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. He forgives sin alone. And then when we come together in community, we can then say and confess the things that permeated our heart, that drew us away. And why do we do that? For a reformed repentance. So that we can confess it. We can get it out of the darkness. And then we can pray for one another. That is what James is calling us to do. But let's keep going. Let's look, look through 1 John chapter 2, the next section. 
we got a big word here, right? It says, speaking of Jesus, he says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Right? In other words, the next point is don't worry. God's wrath is satisfied. Now this big word, propitiation, in order to understand this properly, we need to understand a backdrop to this term. Right? The backdrop to this term is that God is a loving and just judge who cannot overlook sin. All right, you guys know of a judge. Imagine if you had a judge who would just, everyone that comes in the courtroom, they've raped somebody, the judge is like, you're off the hook. They've killed someone, you're off the hook. What happens? We look at that judge and we say, get him out of the courtroom. He is not making a just call. But we know a just judge cannot just overlook sin. God's wrath must be satisfied. That is what makes him a just judge. So check this out. That's where the term, this idea of propitiation comes in. It is the removal, removal of wrath of God against sinners in Jesus Christ. That means divine justice has been satisfied. It's not set aside. God doesn't set it aside and pull it out and be like, boom, and hit you later. It's been satisfied in Jesus. Jerry Bridges has a great quote to help us understand this. If you've ever read Jerry Bridges, I recommend this book highly. He says, Jesus did more than merely deflect the wrath of God from us. Jesus exhausted the wrath of God. Jesus bore bore the full, unmitigated brunt of it. God's wrath against sin was unleashed in all its fury on His beloved Son. He held nothing back. Christ exalted the cup of God's wrath. For all who trust in Him, there is nothing more in the cup. It is empty. The cup is empty. My friends, this is reflective of the glory of Christ. This is what we have to cling to throughout the week. When, we, when I say treasure Jesus, look at what He has done. And right now you should be inside going, Amen, Amen. Oh my gosh, the Lord absorbed the wrath in my place. That is what happens. In Christ, you will not experience wrath. In Christ, you will not experience this punishment because of the blood of Jesus. Well, my friends, outside of that, you will. You will experience all of it. Let me illustrate it. Check it out. All right, all right. We're going to... That was serious. That's heavy. That's serious, right? So we're going to take it back. I'm going to throw it back. We ready for a throwback? Throwback time. You ready? Everyone awake? I don't want no sleepers in here. Check it out. 18th century, 1800s, right? In the 1800s, we're taking way back. Uh, you know, this, there's a state called Nebraska. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. It's kind of in the middle of the, middle of the map. All right, this place called Nebraska. And in Nebraska, in the 1800s, imagine yourself, what would you be wearing in the 1800s? Some blue clothes, probably, right? I mean, that's what all the pictures show. Probably some blue clothes. I don't know. Blue, dark, brown, dark blue, and light blue. I don't know. Anyways, you're in, you're in Nebraska. 
and you're in a horse-drawn carriage because, you know, you didn't have the sweet blazer back then. So you're in the horse-drawn carriage, and in the horse-drawn carriage, there's one thing when you're traveling across the prairie that you have to look out for. It's a prairie fire because it will consume people. It will burn stuff up, right? Well, imagine you're the kid, right, and your father's in the, in the front of this carriage, and you're riding along, and all of a sudden, out of the distance, he sees the sparkling of this little prairie fire beginning. And all of a sudden, as a kid, you smell the smoke beginning to smolder. And you feel the fear gripping your heart. You're like, oh, man, there's a prairie fire coming. <sighs> so you're like, you know it's coming. You're anticipating it. And these things travel 600 feet in a minute. They move, right? They, they are moving. When the wind carries them, they can fly. Well, as the flames grow bigger and bigger, all of a sudden your father jumps out and he lights a match, starts it up. He starts a fire and you're like, well, what's dad doing? Why is he starting a fire? (coughs) Well, dad is starting a fire and he's just sitting there and he watches it burn. You're like, dad's starting a little fire and there's a big fire over here. What's going on? Well, guess what? As that ring begins to burn, the fire gets bigger and bigger. And then your father just nonchalantly jumps back in the carriage. He's like, come on, kids, let's bounce. Let's roll right to the middle of that ring. And he pulls the carriage right into the ring. And as he pulls it in, that fire continues to come. And as that fire comes, it does not consume you. The fire goes around the ring. And the reason it goes around the ring is because the ring was already burned. Because it was judged. It had already experienced wrath. And You, as believers in Jesus Christ, at the foot of the cross, Jesus has experienced the wrath of God and the judgment has been poured out and the cup is empty. Your soul should be alive right now. Your soul should be alive right now. I'm telling you. The cup of God's wrath is empty. Just like the flames that have already been judged. Jesus has been judged. You don't need to run to self-justification. You can't. You will fall short. Mm. Now that's awesome. That is awesome. So how do we apply this idea of propitiation? Because Christ bore the wrath of the Father, we are safe in His arms. We, are not, we will not receive the wrath. We are reconciled to God. We are made children of God. Do you see? Because of Christ's work, you have a brand new identity through and through that will not change if you are in Jesus. Let's keep going. All right, there's a little bit more here. So here we go. He says, and he himself is our propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Do not hide Jesus, right? Don't hide Jesus. But how do we look at this verse? How do we interpret a verse like this? Because we know, according to to Scripture, not everyone is saved, right? John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made this exclusive claim that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to salvation. 
He is the only one. All other paths are based upon what you do. You want to look better before God, no matter what it is. Jesus is the only one. Is the only way that says, no, place your faith in what I've done. My finished atoning work on the cross. So we're not universalists. We don't believe that everyone that dies is all of a sudden going to be saved. So how do we interpret it? We can simply say Christ atoned for the sins of all those that will come to Him in faith. If you come to Christ, there is not a single sin that will be left. It is covered by the blood of the Lamb. It is covered. And that goodness, man, that is the goodness of God that leads us to live for His glory. Not begrudgingly, but to live for Him out of the goodness of who He is. But it continues on. It's not just us, but for the, for, for the sins of the whole world, the sheep that Jesus laid His life down for. He atoned for them. And this is the present free grace and free offering of the Gospel. This is the Gospel, my friends. The Gospel is what comes down to us. It is not in us by nature. The Gospel is what is proclaimed. The Gospel is not what we live. The Gospel is what Jesus has done. It is the good news of Christ that is proclaimed to us. And we live out the implications of the Gospel. Check this out. C.S. Lewis once, he has a quote. He says, when he talks about praise, he says, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the joy is not complete until we have expressed it. It is not out of the compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Right? Why do you think social media has taken such a storm? People love to express what they go through, right? You know, you take all these selfies like, hey, check me out, I'm at the zoo, you know, or wherever you are. And you throw up on social media because there's an element of that that is good. And that is expressing the joy with another human being. Now, this love of Christ, since the love of, let the, I want to say at the end here is, let the love of Christ compel you. Let the goodness of the Gospel drive you to tell others about Christ. In everyday, ordinary lives, amongst you and I, living it out with Gospel intentionality. You just are being intentional. Everyday life and the people you encounter and the things that you do. And just ask the Lord simply, Father, I see a glimpse of Your glory. I see it through Your Son. I see what He has done on my behalf. And allow that to motivate you. Ask Him to change your affections, your longings, what your heart runs after when we know it shouldn't. And finally, to conclude it, we can simply say that Jesus Christ is our advocate and our propitiation, which should drive us 
to fight sin, to repent, to spread the gospel with great joy and treasure Christ more. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you once again, and, and the passage in 1 John, Lord, is, it's beautiful. Lord, it's beautiful. We can see who you are and what you have done. And because of what you have done, Lord, you change our entire identity. Lord, you change how we define ourselves. We are now saints. We are beloved. We are elected, called, chosen. We are predestined from eternity past. Lord, you are the one who loves us. You uphold all things in your hands. And Father, through that goodness of who you are, Lord, I just ask that our hearts, that we will live more and more for you. That we will spread your good news, Lord. That we will share you with others. And that looking to you and the goodness of your Son, Lord, we will see you more and more and more. And that will begin to loosen the grips of the sin that holds us. And that through that, we'll just come to love you more. And Father, just ask that you begin to uproot those things in our lives as we look to your text, as we live out life together, as we live in community, as we confess sins to one another. Father, I just pray that the village will be a church that is a beacon, a light that shines to other people that don't know your goodness. This is good news. Lord, this is good news that we want to proclaim and we want to show people the impact of it. In your son's awesome name. Amen. Amen.